We give you glory. We give you honor today. We give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. amen. Well, church, I just want us to, you know, I want us to start this year off right. Amen. And that was, I mean, that was perfect today. Thank you, worship team. Thank you, worship team. I think we, I think we come into church too much, like we, this, we have this strict regimen that we come in, we worship for three songs, and then we do a transition, and then we listen to announcements, and then it's like, preacher, you got 30 minutes. And I just want us to start off this year right, right? And I mean, I say that because I just, I feel like too many Christians only run to the feet of Jesus when there's a problem in their lives, when, there's, when things go off track, you know, then we find ourselves at the feet of Jesus. And I'm, I'm, I'm guilty, you know, I was convicted last week when there I was, at the feet of Jesus, you know, I need thee, oh, I need thee, every hour I need thee. And I really only meant just this hour, Lord, just, just right now, I just need you right now. And, and the Lord said, why? Why just now, Marla? Why, why not every minute of every hour of every single day? Why just now? And, I mean, can we, has anybody been there before where you, you realize you fell out of love with Jesus? Thank you for the hands. For the rest of you, if you're a believer, yeah, you've been there. You've been there. Right? Unless you just got saved this morning walking in here. <laughs> you, you've been there. Like that first, that first love. There's nothing at all like that first love where all you wanted to do was just be, oh, just be in his presence. And so I want to talk about returning to your first love today. I mean, Jesus should be our, the moving, motivating factor in our lives every single day, amen? And so I wonder if he is that for you or, or if he's more or less like this prescription in a drawer, in your junk drawer. Everybody got the junk drawer in a, in a kitchen, you know? Is he that prescription with no expiration date that when you feel sick, you run and grab and, and you run to the pharmacy and you get the medication and you take it only to throw it back into the junk drawer again? I wonder if, if that's what we do. Jesus is, is necessary every moment, every minute, every second, every hour of the day. And there's times where I feel like our Christianity 
moves from devotion to duty. Really quick. You know, and I just want to talk about that today. Let's take a look at a letter written to the church of Ephesus, and it's in Revelation. In the first couple chapters of Revelation, I said two and three are to the seven churches in Asia Minor. And a couple of the letters are reassuring, and the other letters are urgings of Jesus to put bad things behind them and, and, and pursue the good things of being a follower of Jesus. And the first letter in Revelation is to the church of Ephesus. And it says in chapter uh, Revelation 2.1, it says, To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things, says he, who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven gold lampstands. And this is, this is Jesus talking to John. He's, he's, he's giving him the words to write in this letter. And he's talking about himself. Okay? The seven stars that he's holding in his hand indicates his power and authority over, it says the angels, but I really believe that he's talking to the, the, the leaders of the churches, the, the pastors of the churches, you know, and he's holding these, these seven stars in his hand, just signifying his authority and power over them. And, and the, the lampstands, these, these are the churches, this, this is us that he's walking in the midst of. I want you to know that God, God has planted us here, right? He's planted us here to be the light in this dark world. And, and as long as his presence is here, then we'll continue to shine bright for this community. You hear me? As long as his presence is here, then we'll continue to shine. He goes on in, in Revelation 2.2, and he says, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. So Jesus here is saying, he's saying, listen, I've, I've watched you do Christianity, right? I've watched you do it. I've watched all your works, and, and I noticed your toil and your endurance. And Ephesus was the capital of Asia Minor. It was, it was the head of commerce, though. It was, this is where everything came into. It was the center of a sea trade, you know? So it was a pretty big deal. But, but Ephesus was also the center of, it was the head of pagan worship. But this church knew the difference between right and wrong, and Jesus is saying, I see what you're doing. Right? I see what you're doing. You haven't let the pressure of this pagan culture or the persecution of the culture make you disconnected or drift away. He's saying, I see you, and I commend you. He continues in, in verse 2 and says, And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. So doctrinal purity was important to this church in Ephesus, right? They tested anybody attempting to lead them astray. Like, they just weren't having it. They made sure that, that, that it wasn't present in the church, Verse 3 says, and you have persevered and have, and have patience, and I've labored, and you have, and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. You know, when I, when I read that, I, I want to be a part of that church, right? This is a, a church that I really want to be a part of. Sounds like the church of the year, right? 
It's an amazing church. Then the passage pulls a Ross from the episode of Friends. It pivots. It pivots. Right? And, and, and Jesus says in, in, in verse 4, nevertheless, I have this against you. That takes my breath away. Like, I don't know how you feel when you hear that, but, but, to, but to get all these kudos from Jesus, and he says, but I got this against you. That's the last thing that I ever want to hear come from out of Jesus' mouth when I see him. We read all these good things that they're doing, and you just think to yourself, how can you have anything against the church like this, Jesus? But he goes on and he says, but I have this against you, that you have left your first love. You've left your, you left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or, or else I'll come to you quickly and remove the lampstand from its place, unless you repent. The church at Ephesus was, was a church that emphasized truth. But Jesus was saying, I want you to emphasize your love for me as much as you emphasize truth. Right? He's saying, if everything you do is motivated by your love for me, if it's not motivated by your love for me, he's saying, I'll remove your light. If it is not, if, you're, if everything you're doing isn't motivated out of your love for me, then I'll remove your influence because I can, I'm Jesus, right? I'll remove the power that I've already given you. I'll remove it. I won't let you, I won't let you hold that light anymore in your community because I don't want people to see that kind of light. It's a strange fire to me. So I won't let you hold it. You just be an organization with no influence in the community. See, they have become a church doing things. They, they had abandoned their first love. And that means, when I say that, it means in, in terms of priority, right? Like, so in my life and in your life, the priority of love that we have amongst everything else should first be our love for Jesus. And that love right there characterizes all we do. It motivates everything that we do. It's the driving force of our life, this love for Jesus. The problem that the church of Ephesus had was that all these, they were doing all these good things, but they were done out of duty instead of devotion. Their Christianity was done out of a ritualistic way instead of a relational way. And how easy is it for us to get there? How easy is it for us to get there? Sometimes we, we find ourselves doing all the right things for the wrong reasons. And, you know, it's like I look at all the people that we have here volunteering, but it would be like me walking up to a greeter and, and saying, you're, you're greeting. Thank you. Thank you for greeting. Why, why do you do that? Why do you greet? And they say, well, thanks for asking. Originally, I really wanted to be a greeter at Walmart, but they wouldn't have me. So decided I'd, I'd come here. You tithe. Look at you. Thank you for tithing. Why, why do you tithe? 
Well, I read in the Bible that if I give to the Lord, he'd give back to me. So I figured out this would be a great way to ramp up my, my bank account. Right? If I give to the Lord, then, then my business will do great. Figured I'd just give it a shot. Why do you lead a life group? I don't know. Pastor called me, said 10 people said no to him. <laughs> said that he really needed me to do it, so figured I'd do it. It's really about why we do what we do. And it was clear that the Christians in Ephesus were doing all the right things for all the wrong reasons. What Jesus is looking for is for us to do what we do as an expression of our love and adoration for him. That it's not a duty, but it's done out of devotion. It's not a ritual, but it's a relationship. He wants to be, and he deserves to be, our priority love. Amen? Not just a prescription in a drawer. So be a priority love. That it would be like me coming home one night and, and Pastor Michelle cooking this amazing dinner for us. <laughs> and, and she used all these pots and pans and utensils to cook this dinner for us. And we sat down, and it was an amazing dinner, you know. I enjoyed every bite of it. And afterwards, she said, you know, I'm going to, I forgot. I got to run down to the store, and I got to grab a couple things. And she leaves, and, and I turn around, and I walk into the kitchen, and I see all this big mess, and I decide I'm going to scrub all of these pots and pans, and, and I'm going to wash all the dishes, and I'm going to put everything away, and I'm going to wipe the counters down and clean the stove, and... She comes back, and she sees it all, and she goes, wow, the kitchen looks amazing. Why did you, why did you do all that? And I say, well, thanks for asking. It's because I'm committed to the institution of marriage. Yeah. Or... Or I could say, she says, Why, look, the kitchen is amazing. Why did you do that? And I could say, because I love you so much that I just look for ways. And the kitchen isn't, it's not a lot. But I just look for ways to show you that I love you. That's why I did that. Thank you. I, I think that second answer will probably get me somewhere, huh? <laughs> but if I did the institution thing, you know, what kind of message am I sending to my wife? But, but I think that's how a lot of Christians live out their lives, for the institution of Christianity. Not out of devotion or a priority love, this deep love for Jesus that just drives us to do what we do. Like, nobody wants to accept your Jesus if we're Christians characterized by duty. Ain't no light in that. Right? It's, it's like you, you asking somebody, hey, 
you ought to accept Jesus as your Savior. And they say, why? And you tell them, well, you could tithe. Yeah. Yeah, we got a whole list of tasks you can do. You can come to church and you can, you can say hi to somebody at the door. You can come every Sunday. Oh, yeah. You can, you can actually go watch somebody else's kids. We got a whole list of tasks for you. And that's, that's how your lamp gets removed. That's how your lampstand gets removed. By your list of tasks. That ain't drawing nobody to our God. That ain't drawing nobody to Jesus. Or you could say this to that person. I think you ought to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I say, why would I, why would I do that? Because I want you to enjoy the richness of this amazing relationship with the creator of the universe that blessed my life when I was 41 and lost and nobody else would listen to me. Nobody else cared about me. He did. And so I just want, I want you to enjoy the privilege of this awesome relationship with Jesus Christ, man. That's why. There's a difference. There's a difference. And so Jesus tells us in verse 5, we need to repent. Repent and do the things you did first. So today I just want to share with you uh, three ways, three things rather, to remember that can rekindle the love for Jesus again. Take us back to that old thing. Restore that priority love. The first thing we should remember is that he ain't, he's not hard to get. Yeah, got it? He's not hard to get. When you pursue him and pursue to love him, he is not hard to get. When God was done creating all of creation, when he was done creating the sun and the moon and, and the stars in the sky and the trees and the cattle and, and, the, and the, 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 the fish of the sea and the, and the birds of the air the sunrises and sunsets, all these amazing things, it wasn't enough for him. It wasn't enough for him because he said, let us create man in our image. Let us create man in our image. So there would be this, this likeness between mankind and him. There would be a connectivity, right? There would be this relationship. So he said, let us create man in our image. There was a longing for you. He longed for us, church. He walked in the garden with Adam and Eve in this beautiful relationship. This is the creator of the universe who did this. And even after they, they allowed themselves to be deceived by Satan, God could have just said, listen, I'm done with y'all. But he didn't. He came back. He came back to the garden because he longed to be with them. He longs to be with us. He sacrificed animals and put animal skins on them. This is the beginning of a picture of redeeming. The beginning picture of redeeming, bringing people back to himself again. And in Exodus, he tells them, build me a tabernacle. I want to be with you. 
right? Build me a tabernacle. I want to dwell in the midst with you. And throughout the whole narrative of the Old Testament, there's promises of the coming Messiah who make this restoration possible for all mankind. The angel, the angel telling Mary and Joseph to name him Emmanuel because it'll be God with you. Right? When Jesus came, John said he pitched his tent among us. And then, then rejected, despised. He died for us. He, he died for us. He tore the veil. Why did he do that? To bring us back to him. And, and in, in the end, in Revelation, when the devil's defeated and, and evil is done away with forever, he says, the new heavens and the new earth will come down and you will be my people and I'll be your God. And there'll be no more death. There'll be no more sorrow. There'll be no more crying. There'll be no more pain. I just want you to see that he's not hard to get. Right? That he's never, he's, he's, he longs for you. He has this desire for you. So if there's something wrong with the relationship, it ain't him. It's not him. He desires to be with you. Amen? The second thing we need to remember for us to rekindle this love for Jesus is we need to remember to embrace the awesomeness of his love for you. I didn't say his love for us. I said embrace the awesomeness of his love for you. 1 John 4.19 says we love him because he first loved us. You got to embrace the awesomeness of his love for you. You have to make it personal. You got to make it between you and him, not the relationship between him and your mama, not the relationship between him and your grandmama. You got to make it personal between you and him. Look at what he did for you. It's got to be personal, church. He died for me. He died for Marlon Lewis Sadler. That's who he died for. On a cross, naked, in shame, as a criminal, in, in the world's greatest moment of injustice, he did that for me. He did it to erase the barrier so that we could commune with a holy God. How can you not embrace that kind of love for you? Knowing that somebody loves you like that, the natural response is only for you to give love right back to that person. If he doesn't do anything else than what he already has done on the cross, he's done enough. He's done enough. But he didn't even stop there. He didn't stop there. Not only was there the love of the cross, there's the reality that he actually chose you. He chose you. Paul writes in Ephesus, or I'm sorry, in Ephesians 1.4, he says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight in love. So it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what your life has been. It don't matter how broken or how unworthy you feel. He chose you. He chose you. 
Then he goes on to say in Ephesians 1.5, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. We weren't born into his family. He adopted us. He adopted us. Michelle and I have all but one of our kids were born into the family. We were just stuck with them. Right? We did what we did. We went to the hospital before we left. They said, this is yours. You, you, you got to take this with you. He adopted you. He chose you. You know how much you got to be loved for somebody to choose you? He chose us. So when I think of Loving him because he first loved me like that, oh man, it rekindles that first love. Right? It, it takes me back to that first love. Yet embrace that you were chosen by him, and not only did he choose you, he friended you. He friended you. What do you mean, Pastor? He friended me. John 15, 15, this is Jesus talking to his disciples. He says, No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Jesus calls you a friend? Well, we're so busy trying to be virtually liked and friended, we disregard that, that the Lord and the master of our lives chooses to be a friend instead of calling us a servant, which would still be an honor. He chooses to be our friends. Listen, I don't need no other friends if I got Jesus. I'm here to tell you that today. I don't need no other friends if I got Jesus. Because ain't nobody going to do me like Jesus. Listen, he's the kind of friend that he will never leave you nor forsake you. Right? Therefore, you don't have to worry about what man's going to do to you. You got some friends now that you figured out that... that they got your back. They got your way, way, way back. You can't find them when you call them, right? No matter what you're going through. But that's the kind of friend you are. And we try to hold on to people way too long. When they were only meant to be in your life for a season. But he's that kind of friend. He's the kind of a friend that always provides. I know some folks that won't even buy you a hash brown, and they buy one, get one free at McDonald's. <laughs> they really are. But I know those kind of friends. He's the kind of friend whose presence and power is always available to you. He's the kind of friend that, that loves you in spite of you. Hmm. He's the kind of friend whose mercy covers a multitude of sins. He's that kind of friend. So you need to embrace the awesome love of the cross. Remember that, that he chose you. Remember that he friended you. But not only that, we should also remember and embrace the awesome love he has for us because he's coming again. Because he's coming again. He's coming back just for you. He's coming again. The more I look at the world around me, the more I just say, Lord, haste the day. 
Come, Lord, come. Jesus says to a bunch of anxious and confused disciples who were worried about him leaving, he says, be of comfort. I go to prepare a place for you, right? And if I go, then I'll come again and receive you unto myself. And here's this longing thing again. He says, so that where I am, there you may be also. You got to embrace the love he has for you. When you do that, what it does is it, it stimulates the first love that you had for him. That pure love, that, that innocent love. But to get back to that place, you got to spend time praying prayers of thanksgiving to the Lord. Amen. That means you got to turn off your radio in the car and really just meditate on the aspects of his love for you. You need to fall asleep at night reminding yourself of this awesome love that he has for you. You can't, you can't just come in here on Sunday and hear about it and then wish for the best on the rest of the week. You can't do that, right? You got to meditate on these things day and night in order to fall back in love with your master. So we need to know first that he, he's not hard to find, not hard to get because he longs for you. We need to know that, that, that you can embrace his awesome love for you and that what that does is stimulates your first love for him. And thirdly, prove your love to him in the way that you live. Prove your love in the way that you live. John 14, 15 says, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. And what he does for us when we, when we keep his commandments is he, he promises he'll abide in us. The very presence of God. Listen, Jesus is the only one who knows the way. He's the only one that knows the way. There's ways that seem right to me and you, but the Bible tells us that it's in is the way of death. I've learned, man, I've learned that my first instincts are usually wrong. Like, if you offend me, my first instinct ain't to forgive you. It's not. I need help. Yeah, I need help. I need somebody to show me the way. And the commands of Jesus show me the way to what's good, shows me the way to what's righteous, shows me the way to what glorifies him. Jesus shows me this. Don't despise his commands, church. There is a love letter just to you. And keeping these commands is a way to show him how much you love him and also show the world how much we love him. Amen? Loving him and loving others. Ooh. That's the problem, ain't it? I heard somebody say life would be great if it wasn't for people. But, but after Jesus' resurrection in John 21, Peter led his disciples back to the fishing business. I mean, they totally went off script. They went back to the fishing business. And, and while they were there, Jesus shows up on the shore. 
again to call us back to him. He shows up on the shore to call them back to him. And they all gather around Jesus, and this is where Jesus asks Peter three times, do you, do you love me? Jesus says, you know I love you, Lord. Right? And three times Jesus says what? Feed my lambs. Tend to my sheep. Feed my sheep. And there's, there's so much there, but ultimately what Jesus is saying that I'll know that you love me when you care about what I care about. When you care about what I care about, I'll know that you love me. The needs and the nurturing of my people. Jesus cared about one thing on this planet. He knew that everything else was getting checked at the border. And that's the need of people. That's people. We are to care about what he cares about. When, when Michelle and I got married, we moved in together because that's what married people do. And while I was setting up the kids' rooms, you know, I was putting everything together. And I remember she came in and she goes, she's like, oh, you, you put a garbage can in here. Okay. I was like, yeah, so I can throw stuff away. What are you talking about? I grew up with a garbage can in my room. And I don't know, it was months later. I wouldn't say quite a year, but it was months later. You know, this was after my representative had worn off. <laughs> don't act like y'all didn't have a representative when y'all met y'all husband or wife. Hi, this is Marlon. No, it's not. <laughs> and we were having one of them discussions like, you know, that, that tell me about yourself really discussion. And the kids' rooms came up, you know. And she was like, by the way, I don't like garbage cans in rooms. I was like, what are you talking about? Like, you need a garbage can in your room so you can throw stuff away. Why don't you like garbage cans in your room? She said, because it encourages them to take food up to their rooms. And you'll end up having ants and, and bugs in the rooms. And who's going to take the garbage out of their rooms? Them? And I was like... You're right. I mean, I thought about it. I take out the garbage. And these little squatters don't do nothing but, but take up room and space and run your water and electric bill up. They ain't taking the garbage out. And so it came to that point where I, I, I went to them and I said, hey, we have decided to take these garbage cans out of your room. We don't want you to eat in your room. What she cared about became what I cared about. You know what I discovered, though, after removing their garbage cans? They didn't use them anyway. They rooms with a garbage can. Bunch of nasty, <laughs> bunch of nasty little kids. That's all they are. But... <laughs> But one of, the, one of the things I learned in a situation was that if I'm going to prove my love to my wife, I needed to care about what she cares about. Amen? And then I needed to activate that. So to prove our love for him that's been stimulated by his love for us, 
We should care about what he cares about, and that's people. Like, are you, are you the first person to bring dinner to somebody who's, who's gone through a surgery or who's having some sort of family crisis? Are you the first person to knock on their door? Like, that should bring you some sort of joy just to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. You get to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. This should bring you joy to do this, right? It should drive you to care about what he cares about. When, when the religious attorney came to Jesus and asked, what's, what's the greatest commandment? And they had like 657 commandments. But, but Jesus says in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, 37, he says, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first of the great commandments. And the second is like it. And I'm sure the attorney was like, what do you mean second? I only asked you for one. But the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And this tells me, it convicted me when I was studying for this. This tells me that if I say I love my God with all my heart, all my soul, all my mind, but I don't love my neighbor, I don't really love God. Because they're, they're connected. You understand that? They're, 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 they're the same. The second is like the first. It's not one or the other. It's both. And, and who is your neighbor? Because it goes further than, biblically speaking, it's more than the person that just lives next door to you. It's whoever he puts in your path. It's when you pull up to a red light and it turns green and she's texting. And then it turns yellow and then it turns red again. She's your neighbor. Last week I was at Mark's and I, was, I went to go get two things. Two things at Mark's. And I only had cash, so I went up to, in case you don't know this little hack, if you only got a couple things, you can go to the customer service desk and they'll ring you out. So I went to the customer service desk to get rung out, and as I was approaching, there was an older gentleman coming in that direction. And so we both, I'm walking up and I see him, I know what he's doing. But I'm walking towards the desk and he came from this side, and he was like walking towards this way, and I was like, ah, oh, you know, and I got here we both stopped and she was checking out the last person I had two items he had nine you know how I know he had nine because I counted them I counted them he had nine items and she was done checking the guy out and we both there was a standoff and I was looking at him I said, go ahead. And he got up there, and I realized he had a gallon of water. I said, let me help you. And I picked it up and put it on the counter for him. That's the call. That's my neighbor. Amen? That is the call to prove our love to him. If we live out 
our love for Jesus, then we keep his command when we love other people. And that's the power of the gospel. That's the power of the gospel. Amen? Stand with me. So I just want to invite you all this year, this year, to return to your first love. Return to your first love. That love where you, that first love where you just, you just wanted to be with Jesus. That's it. That's the only thing that mattered to you. There was, there was a purity in that. There was an innocence. There was, there was a childlikeness in that. And then some, somehow along the way in this thing, professionalism comes as this demonic initiative. And what it does is it disguises itself as wisdom. Hell wants to steal your childlikeness. It is demonic. We used to have seven years ago or so, we used to have these soaking services in Cleveland. And man, for an hour, an hour and a half, as long as it took, we just chased after the presence of Jesus. People prayed for each other. We laid hands on each other. We weren't looking at the clock. We didn't care if we heard a man speak or not. We were there for one reason. Jesus. For the presence of Jesus. I know you don't feel like you can go pray for an hour in your room, but let me tell you something that if Jesus just sticks his pinky in that room you will forget about everything else that you were doing it only takes one touch to take you back we were there and we were just lowly we were lowly we were little children just needing more of him I heard that um, at Disney, there's statues that look different to children in comparison to adults. They said that the lower you are, you get, you get a completely different view of the statue. Jesus is like that. Jesus is like that. looks a certain way to the lowly and to the childlike. To the professional heart that's been there and done that, he loses his beauty. The 
church in 2024, let's be like those children. Let's like, just be like those kids that, and just be in awe of his beauty and his majesty this year. Let's just be willing to lose whatever we have to lose so that we don't lose the touch of Jesus. Amen. Let's return to our first love. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would just convict us, convict our hearts, God, if we find ourselves doing all the things, God, for all the wrong reasons. Lord, help us to to return to our first love for you. Lord, we just want to do all that we do out of our devotion for you. Not as a, a, a duty to check off of our Christian lists. We desire to have an intimate relationship with you, Jesus. Help us to remember, Father, that you are not hard to get. That since the beginning of time, Father, you have longed to be with us. That we were predestined, God, predestined to be who and what you called us to be before the foundation of the earth, Lord. Remind us, Lord, to embrace this awesome love that you have for us, a love that's so deep that you went to the cross, God. You went to the cross, Jesus, and sacrificed your life so that you give us ours. We want to live for you, Jesus. Give us the courage, Father, to invite those that that don't know you, Father, to invite those in to have a relationship with you. We thank you for all that you've done, all that you're doing, and all that you will do. You are the giver of all good things, God. And we posture our hearts this year to love you, to let you know, Father, that we are moldable vessels, God, for you to come in and live in us and do whatever it is that you desire to do. All that will bring you honor and bring you glory. We love you and we bless you in Jesus' matchless name. Amen. Amen. And amen. If if you've never asked Jesus into your heart, we'll have some pastors and some altar ministers up here. We would love to pray with you. Thank you guys for coming. I never said Happy New Year, but Happy New Year to you all. We look forward to seeing you next week. Remember to live right, love everybody, and pray hard. God bless you.